Yes, off the weekend, we are back aboard. It's the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast on the weekend. I am merely the somewhat capable host. Good God, did I get enough to eat off the Easter weekend. It was also Passover for those that celebrate. And for those that just wanted to watch the pay-per-view and gorge on whatever food and beverage they had, they had that excuse too. But we're here to recap all of it. And I do have a great insider, uh, a great voice that you're going to hear. Love to read him as well. He's part of what we do on Big Fight Weekend. Dan Rayfield is back aboard to recap the weekend. I presume you got enough to eat in addition to watching all of this take place this weekend in the world of boxing. How are you? I'm doing great. It was a very good weekend of boxing. It was a long, long day on Saturday. I started with the British Matchroom Show on DAZN and watched Conor Ben. Had a very short break. Went into the pre, you know, the preliminary fights on Showtime for a couple of hours, and then right into the pay per view at 9 p.m. Eastern for another four fights, and a and a, and a culminating with a big uh, Spence Ugas main event. And uh, those are those are fun days because you know what? Unlike the previous weeks, none of those fights conflicted. The the uh, zone show was over. Like I said, short break in between, and then uh, a, a lengthy uh, uh, card between the Showtime part and then the pay per view. And uh, it was overall a, a good entertaining day of fights no doubt including culminating with the errol spence tko win over your dennis ugas for the world welterweight unification bout we're going to talk about that here in just a second couple of disclaimers however you have found this fight freaks unite recap podcast whether that is through a social media link whether it's through dan's Substack, fight freaks unite if you're seeing it publicized there uh, this podcast is here coming off the weekend, usually on Monday by the afternoon. We make no promise on the exact time, but sometimes it'll be there Monday morning as well, whatever the case is. Make sure you follow or subscribe. Dan knows this, but I'm saying it to the audience. The easiest way to get this is go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, and just look for the Big Fight Weekend Podcast Network. Look under Big Fight Weekend. Fight Freaks Unite is housed on that same podcast feed. Now, you'll also see the Big Fight Weekend previews that are there. You'll see some special podcasts. Dan knows this as well that are there. We went retrospective on the Hearns Hagler uh, anniversary last week and had a great time doing that. You'll get all of this stuff if you follow or subscribe on the podcast feed. But for the Fright, uh, the Fight Freaks Unite recap show, coming your way Monday, you'll get an automatic notification, a light, a ding, whatever, when it's there on Monday if you follow or subscribe, and we hope that you do so. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, Errol Spence remains unbeaten. Uh, he looked very impressive to me. They're not here to hear me say it first. They're here to hear you say it first. What did you see out of that 10-round stoppage over Ugas that now gives him the WBA world title with the IBF and WBC 147-pound world titles, Dan? I don't think you need to be a boxing expert to, to look at that fight and say, boy, this guy is really, really outstanding. He looked really, really good. And I know there was a lot of people, TJ, that going into the fight had, uh, understandably, and I think Errol understood it also, and I think maybe he had, he had some questions uh, deep down. Um, only his second fight since the car accident, but more significantly, his first fight in a year and a half or so since he had uh, was, he was preparing for the Pacquiao fight last August and had the eye injury, the, the, the detached retina, which required surgery and had kept him out for a little bit longer out of forego the Pacquiao fight. Obviously, Ugas was able to step into that uh, uh, match because he had been on the undercard. So that fight was made on short notice. He had lost his opponent as well. And so Spence lost out on that, uh, but it paved the way with Ugas beating Pacquiao to get the unification. But he hadn't fought since the eye injury. He's cleared by the doctors, obviously, or the, the fight wouldn't have taken place. But uh, 
for a guy that had a terrible car accident and was idle for a long time and came back and, and beat Danny Garcia and then had another long layoff because of the situation with the eye. Um, if you didn't know those things had occurred in Errol Spence's life and you were just dropped off of a, of a you know, a time warp or out of a coma and, and watched the fight, you'd be like, man, Errol Spence is just as good as he ever was, if not better. He looked absolutely fantastic. Um, other than a couple of brief moments that were shaky in round, I believe six, when he got tagged a few times and, you know, the mouthpiece fell out and he kind of, uh, you know, got distracted and got clobbered a couple of times by, by Ugas, but came right back. I mean, that was a, a that was a a plus kind of performance against a very quality opponent in a very high stakes match in front of a giant crowd in front of his hometown fans at a 18th day stadium, almost 40,000 uh, on hand. And uh, what can you say? Errol Spence is, was, and in the future is one of the best pound for pound fighters in boxing, uh, you know, until further notice. Full credit to Ugas who's tough, but man, he took a lot of punishment as that fight went on, especially to the body. He was hanging in. Ended up suffering a fractured eye, orbital right eye, swollen shut. He confirmed that. Ugas confirmed that coming off the weekend. Uh, and again, Spence just continued relentlessly to the body first, it seemed like. Left hooks to the head to that damaged eye. Uh, it, it just tell me more about tactically how I was impressed with that with Errol Spence on just he saw the weakness and he continued to exploit it until he got his TKO, I thought. Well, the weapons were were you know, some fighters rely on one weapon that's their bread and butter that they really go to all the time to do their damage or to take control of a fight. One of the reasons why Errol Spence is so uh, outstanding and one of the best fighters in boxing is because he has multiple damaging weapons. He doesn't have to rely on just one thing. His jab was very solid against Ugas. His right hook was solid. His straight left hand was devastating. His body punching was outstanding. He landed something like 80 body shots, according to CopyBox. That's, that's a pretty good amount of body shots against uh, a guy in Ugas who was a pretty solid defensive fighter, relatively speaking. Uh, he just had all the weapons, and they were all working. And, uh, you know, and he was able to put them together. He didn't just throw one body shot and then a, a, a right hook or, or a straight left hand. He, he mixed them up in combinations. He went upstairs and downstairs. His distance was good. Um, and with Ugas, who was a natural counterpuncher, you have a guy that was stepping on the gas and, and bringing the fight to Ugas and, and forcing the counterpuncher really to back up a little bit because he was getting, you know, strafed with all the shots. Uh, I thought it was an A-plus all-star level performance. And for a guy who's coming off that kind of injury and hadn't fought for a while, think about after those 10 rounds how sharp he might be if he gets back in the ring and instead of taking, you know, a year and a half till his next fight, if it's only, you know, six, eight months till his next fight, which is probably the time frame you're looking at because you have to figure uh coming out of this victory here in april without any particular injuries of note that we're aware of uh you know he's a twice a year fighter anyway if he's healthy figure he's back in the fall you know you're talking most likely like october november and uh for hopefully another big one against uh we'll get to it terrence crawford let's get to it right now as we talk with dan rayfield here fight freaks unite recap podcast that's the name we've been we've been hearing about this fight uh, we've been wondering about this fight years now, not just a few months, not just a year, years now. Uh, they, they, they both are playing the, uh, the correct game publicly saying they want this. Do you believe it is realistic we will get this before this year is out? Or are you skeptical like I am or some that this still won't get done because it hasn't gotten done for various reasons for the last two or three years that we won't see it next. I'm curious what your opinion is, Dan Crawford 
versus Spence finally going to happen later 2022? Well, as we continue to get to know each other uh, as part of our, uh, our mm-hmm. business relationship here, you will come to know uh, that I am among the most skeptical people you will ever meet when it comes to boxing mm-hmm. business. Because, uh, you know, fool me once, shame on you. <laughs> fool me twice, shame on me. And let me tell you, I've been around a long time. Uh, and I have seen a lot of things promised that you get excited about that they pull the rug out from under you and it doesn't happen. So I, I try, I mean, maybe in my younger days, I would get extremely emotional about things and, and get all riled up. You know, now it's to me, it's like water off a duck's back. You know, I want to see this fight as much as anybody. And, uh, I hope that it does happen. Obviously as a fan, I would be super excited as a, as a journalist, I'd be super excited because anytime you have a big event, um, you know, it's, it's great for the business. It's great for the sport. It's great for the fans. And one thing I learned from, uh, from a great boxing writer of the past, a man named Michael Katz, who worked for many years mm-hmm. for the New York times and then the New York daily news. who I covered a lot of fights with early in my career when he pioneered internet boxing writing back in the early two thousands. Um, Michael Katz was one of my mentors. And he told me one time, listen, kid, there's two kinds of fights. There's great fights and there's great writing fights. And if you get it the right way, the fight turns out to be both and a fight like Errol Spence against Terrence Crawford is a great fight in the ring, but it's also going to be a great fight to write and report about. So it, 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 it checks those boxes. The thing is they got to make the fight. You asked me, is it, is it possible to make the fight? Is it going to happen? Next? The only people that can answer that truthfully are going to be Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford, because I, there is no, there is no impediment anymore to making that fight whatsoever. Period. End of story. There are no promotional entanglements. Terrence Crawford is a broadcast and network and promotional free agent. Errol Spence has his team. Uh, they put on major events with PBC and Al Heyman and Showtime. And there is not, uh, you know, even if he had still stayed with top rank, they could have worked out a deal. They did it for uh, the Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, number two and three. They were able to make a deal for Terrence Crawford's last fight, which it was against the PBC fighter, Sean Porter. So they are capable of doing that. But without them even involved, that just lessens the burden and the, and, the, and the problems and the possible things that could go wrong even less because Crawford can go wherever he wants. So there is no more nonsense about who promoter, which promoter are you with, which TV broadcaster are you on? None of that exists. The only thing, in my opinion, that, that messes this deal up is if the two sides, meaning Team Crawford and Team Spence, have unrealistic expectations about the moolah, about the do-re-mi, about the cashola. Amen. Okay. So they're going to have to be, you know, in the realm. I mean, you know, what that right number is, that's going to be for their people to decide. Let me interject. Let me interject on this point. Spence has three of the belts. I can totally see where Spence is going to say, this is not a 50-50 purse split here. You're right. This is is one of, and you've done this a hundred times. This is not, this is not equitable. And I could see Terrence Crawford balking at that. And I'm equally the skeptic that you are having been around boxing. Well, there's a a couple of things about that. So so follow up, go. Okay. There's two things. Number one, you're right. Here's the problem. And this is part of what makes these guys great fighters. They are stubborn mules. Okay. And, And I think they'll admit that. I mean, if you know anything about Crawford or Spence, I've covered their entire careers, both of them. Um, Part of what makes them the great fighters that they are is because they have that streak. They are unbendable in some times. And Terrence Crawford is like, it's for all the marbles. You know, I have done what I've done. I've been 
uh, unified champion in multiple weight classes. I was undisputed already at 140 pounds. You know, I am considered by many people higher on the pound or pound list. In other words, Crawford going to have his very legitimate arguments and Errol Spence is going to have his, his legitimate arguments. His are more tangible from the standpoint he holds three belts. The other guy's got one belt. If you take a look at what the pay-per-views that they have done in the past, Terrence Crawford, and it's not necessarily his fault because he hasn't had the level of opponents that that uh, that uh, Errol Spence has had. But they, they both fought uh, Sean Porter, and Errol Spence's pay-per-view against Sean Porter did much better than, than Terrence Crawford's against Sean Porter. Um, so there's those factors are involved. And also, by the way, let's not discount the fact that although both of them have fan bases, uh, Terrence Crawford, I've been to fights in Omaha. He certainly draws them in, but he's not drawn 40,000 the way that Errol Spence has done uh, in the fight the other night. He's drawn 30 plus thousand uh, also against Mikey Garcia. And the only reason that he didn't have a similarly large crowd against Danny Garcia was because there were still restrictions due to COVID in Texas. So there was a much smaller crowd, about 15 or 16 or 17,000 for that fight. So even with restrictions, he's drawing a larger crowd than than uh, Terrence Crawford. But again, they both have their their uh, their rationales for why it should be either them, the lion's share, or at the very least a 50-50 fight. So they're going to have to fight it out in the boardroom before they can get into the ring. But besides the issues of making the deal, uh, in terms of it being for undisputed, look, the WBA very likely is going to interject their, their, their politics and their policies into whether this fight's going to be for all the titles. Now, remember, when this uh, event was made to allow Ugas to enter as the champion of the WBA to unify with Errol Spence, uh, 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 the mandatory challenger was Imanta Stanionis. He had to agree to step aside and instead fought Butayev on the undercard for the regular title. So now he beat Butayev in a very good fight that was on the Showtime part of the broadcast. He is now the mandatory challenger for the WBA title. And the WBA said even before the fight happened, that the winner of Butai versus Danionis was going to be next ordered to face the winner of Errol Spence against Ugas. And if the WBA stands by what they're going to, what they say they're going to do, that will be ordered. And so therefore, if that, if the winner, which was Spence declines to do that for the, uh, for the mandatory, it's possible that that WBA belt will go away from this particular fight. Now, Stanionis rode to the rescue last time and said, I'll fight Butai instead and stood aside. It's possible that he and his team could say the same thing. Remember, they're also involved with PBC. His manager is Shelly Finkel, who's an extraordinarily experienced manager, knows his way around the game. His promoter is Richard Schaefer, uh, and he knows his way around the game. So hopefully uh, they'll be able to work out some kind of situation where the Stanionis mandatory will not be an impediment to Crawford and Spence making the undisputed fight. I know that's long-winded and convoluted, but mm -hmm. that, those are the facts. But those are the, this is why we have you here. Those are the important facts. And we did allude to this on the Big Fight Weekend preview that Stanionis may elect, should he be victorious, and he was, to take a financial payday, probably seven figures, and step aside. The concern would be on his side is you know a Spence Crawford more than likely has a rematch clause. So if I'm stepping aside... Am I stepping aside for two fights? And this this could ultimately mean what you're alluding to, that the WBA belt gets vacated and it's not undisputed then at that point. That's the, that's the point that you're making there. We'll see if that part gets worked out. I'm with you, though. The fight is the Spence-Crawford fight, however we can have it, and hopefully we can have it by this fall. Again, give me a percentage gauge. Is it 
25% in your mind skeptic, 50% in your mind? Do we creep above 50% that they get it made by the end of this year? What say Well, you? the first thing, as, as it relates to the rematch thing, with, with, you know, in terms of if they, do, if they do make a deal, if it would have a rematch clause, not all rematch clauses are created equal. I have seen plenty of instances over the course of covering this sport that sometimes there are rematch clauses, but it's, it's the, the winner has the option to have an interim fight that does happen sometimes. So those are, those are minutia things important, mm -hmm. but things are going to have to work out as far as do I think that they will make the deal? You know, I don't know if I can put a percentage on it because it's all about how stubborn are they going to be in terms of what they demand? Um, they both clearly want the fight from what they say publicly. And they've both been saying publicly for a long time they want the fight. But this is the first time where it really feels real before it felt more like performance. You know, when Terrence Crawford is watching the fight live on television and within a couple of minutes after the end of the bout is tweeting, no more sides of the street. You know, now comes the real fight. No more talk. You know, Terrence Crawford is a serious individual. Okay. Terrence Crawford doesn't talk to hear his to hear his own uh, voice. So when he says something like that, I believe he means it. And when Errol Spence stands in the ring and says, you know, I'm coming to take your motherfucking belt, which is what he said. And he said, <laughs> that's the fight I want next. That's the fight we all want. He was very crystal clear in his comments. He reiterated it again at the post-fight news conference. So I take them both at their word that it's now going to be the point where they say uh, Errol to his team at PBC, Crawford to you know his management since he doesn't have a promoter uh make the fight come to me with a real offer with a real deal and see if we can work this out I'm not saying it's going to be easy but but all that said you know I think there's a where there's a will there's a way if the fighters want to fight the fight will happen are you running for political office on this edition of the show? Just give me a I, more than likely going to happen, more than likely not going to happen before the end of this year, and I'll be happy with you. More than likely going to happen before the end of this year or more than likely not going to happen? Can you give me one of those? No. Even though I'm a, ever the pessimist on things like this, I'll say in this particular instance, more likely that it will happen than it won't. How about I like that? that. And you'll I be able to sleep. You. You'll be able to sleep good. I know this is coming out Monday, but you'll be able to sleep better on Sunday well, night. Yeah, and and sleep better the rest of the week. I think it more than likely will happen because they've been waiting so long, and it's the fight that everybody wants, and they're going to make a boatload of money on pay per view to have. And it. where else are they going, right? And Crawford who else has, can they he's, fight? In a, he's in a wasteland. Who he's else? Got nowhere can, else to go. To your point, who else can either one of them fight right now that's going to remotely pay them half a third? of what they're going to get to fight well, each other. And we know listen, how that works. Errol Spence does have options. Right? He could fight Stanley Onis, and he'd make yes. millions of dollars to but do But doesn't so. he make a third of the Crawford fight, if that's the yeah. case, probably? I don't know about a third. I mean, he's well-paid no matter who he fights. Yeah. So he's going to make millions and millions of dollars, whether he fights Stanley Onis or Cody Crowley, who was on the undercard and got a winner, You know who looked good, by the way, whoever you want to talk about. So PBC has a lot of welterweights in there. Keith Thurman. Yeah, I mean, there are there are guys he could fight. Crawford is in a situation where he doesn't have he can go anywhere he wants because of his free agency. The point, though, is that in terms of welterweights, all of the top welterweights essentially are with PBC. And it's not as though he's going to the UK to fight Connor Ben, who is an up and coming welterweight, because he's just not ready for that. And Connor Ben's people know that. So the point is the 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 top level welterweights who are 
ready to fight a level fighter of Crawford or, you know, at least belong in that conversation, they all reside under the PBC banner. So it's kind of PBC or bust for Terrence Crawford at this point. So I'm not saying that they don't need each other, but Spence will have other options. Even if you and me and other fans would be kind of irritated if he opted for that, he does have other directions he could go in. Crawford's pathway is a little more limited. Even if he did what he has said previously, which is he would go up perhaps to 154. That means he'd have to fight the winner of Charlo Castaño. Well, guess what? You know, Charlo is a PBC fighter. I'm not, you know, Castaño uh, is, uh, is a doable fight, I suppose. I don't know if he's actually 100% with PBC. I think he is. Uh, but the point is, that's not, that's a, that's a good fight, obviously, but it's not as public, public uh, uh, interest, let's say, compared to if it was Charlo. The point is, Crawford, they got to figure a way out to do it. Crawford's going to have to be with PBC, at least for, you know, one or two fights, I would think. And uh, let's see if they can get the deal done. And when they do make it, if they make it, you and I both know if uh, Showtime gets behind it and PBC gets behind it, you know, the fans will be behind it. The press will be behind it. It's a big, big fight. Big Las Vegas fight. We'll do a big crowd, be a big pay-per-view. You know, what do you want? It's going to have a lot of sponsors. We'll sell a lot of t-shirts. We'll all have a good party. We're just saying on the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast, do not hold your breath. We've been here before. But we both, you and I, both believe it will happen at some point. I just don't know if it happens next. We'll find out, and we'll we'll all find out together as we go along. Uh, we'll circle back to Connor Ben in a moment. Again, he had the big knockout on the matchroom boxing main event, welterweight contender over there. You've kind of given a little insight into Ben and his future, but I want to talk about the win in a second. Any, before we get there, anything else off of the undercard? I know you wrote about Isaac Pitbull Cruz, Isak, the uh, the Hispanic Mexican pronunciation, Isak Pitbull Cruz, uh, with his win over Gamboa on that card. You mentioned uh, Stanionis, also victorious as a welterweight on the card. Brandon Lee, who we interviewed on the preview podcast, uh, junior welterweight, victorious on the card. What else stood out from the PBC Showtime card Saturday night as we're recapping? Well, I mean, the guys that were the winners, uh, you know, all did a good job, mostly against uh, better names who were sort of faded. I sort of made the point uh, in tweeting on Saturday that this card was like a retirement party because, you know, it, it basically three three good names, three championship level guys, but who are past their prime, you know, all got, you know, pretty dominated. You have, you know, Jose Cito Lopez was never a champion, but was a longtime contender. He got really beaten up and battered over 10 rounds by Cody Crowley, an undefeated welterweight. Uh, Robert Garcia, his trainer, you know, sort of was in the interesting to stop. He was thinking about stopping the fight three different times late in that fight, never actually did. But Lopez took a real pounding. And, uh, you know, he's about 37 years old now. He's had a lot of tough fights. You know, again, he looked like he's pretty much, uh, it's time to uh, call it a day. Uh, Gamboa, who you mentioned in terms of the fight with Cruz, just got obliterated. That was not a shock to me. You know, I was looking at Gamboa's record. Uh, just to see uh, what he had done lately. And I started counting up. That was at last night. He got dropped, uh, I think three times total or four times total. I freaking lost track. The point was he's been down at least 20 times in his career, mm. you know, and now at age 40, his legs were gone in the first round. He took a pounding in the first round. It could have been a 10, eight round without a knockdown. And then he got dropped and dropped and dropped and just absolutely battered. Uh, you know, he was, he's game. He's got a big heart. He was a hell of a fighter in his prime. Uh, just a phenom, electrifying knockout artist uh, when he was coming out of the Olympics and had defected from Cuba to come to make a pro career here in America. Unified featherweight titles was was a considered a pound for pound uh, talent. But uh, so many amateur fights, so many hard, tough fights as a pro knockdowns. And 
you know, it's, he's all done. It's, you know, I hate to say it. I don't mean to say that like in a disrespectful way, because I have ample respect for what he has done. And then the heart he has shown and the thrills he has provided, but uh, you know, all things, all good things come to an end. And you know what, in terms of, so you had Lopez, Josecito Lopez in this situation where you might want to consider calling it a day, same with Gambo. And of course, Francisco Vargas uh, took a one round knockout on a monster left hand by, um, by Valenzuela who, you know, Jose Valenzuela is now like 12 and 0. I thought that he, I think he's one of the best prospects in boxing. And I had written ahead of time that that was the one really overt mismatch on the card. They were going to just get a great name and he was going to run them over and he ran them over even quicker than I thought. I mean, and it's like I said, in boxing, you know, when you're at the end and you're retiring or you're on your way out, they don't give you a gold watch. They give you a beating. And that's exactly what happened in those three bouts. You had three good names, three quality guys in their prime. They were really good, but they're not there anymore. And they got obliterated by the younger, stronger, fresher, up-and-comers. Voice of uh, Dan Rayfield. I love his insight here. It's the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. We're here for a few more moments. We are going to talk Connor Ben's win, matchroom boxing main event over in Manchester, England on Saturday afternoon in just a second. Brandon Lee was on the preview podcast, on the Big Fight Weekend preview podcast. We talked about getting a knockout. Uh, and, and he said, they just come. I don't look for them. Uh, disappointed a little bit that he dominated against Ochoa, but didn't get his knockout in that fight. Is that a bit of a disappointment for anybody that's in his corner or trying to push him uh, into bigger things and, and possible title shot that that uh, he did not get the early stoppage or the KO and it went the 10 round distance? What do you think? Oh, I don't think there's a problem with that at all. I thought that, you know, sometimes uh, sometimes you have opponents who aren't going anywhere. And Zach Ochoa is a competent guy. Uh, you know, he's got some skills. He knows how to protect himself. Um, he did a good job. He, he rallied a little bit later in the fight, maybe one, uh, you know, one or two rounds uh, later in that fight. But but Zach Ochoa is not a bum. He's, he's maybe not a pound for pound guy. Maybe he'll never be a world champion, but he's got heart and he's got skills and he knows his way around the ring. He's not a used up 35 year old guy. He's in his 20s still. You know, he's a good fighter. Sometimes you got to give credit to the opponent. Brandon Lee got in 10 quality rounds. He'd never been past round seven. He's still a tremendous prospect. He, he dominated the fight. He won, you know, at, at worst, he won seven rounds. You know, at best, he probably won maybe eight or nine rounds. But I don't think there's any problem. When you're 22 years old and you've knocked everybody out uh, to go the distance, uh, you know, I mean, I think he went four rounds early in his career. But I mean, in terms of a 10 round, eight mm-hmm. round, even 12 round distance fight, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because you need those rounds as a young fighter. They'll have something to go back to the gym and look at the video of to work on some things. And and uh, sometimes you also have to give credit to your opponent. And you know what? For Zach Ochoa, he may not got the victory against uh, against Brandon Lee, but because he put up a good fight, because he was durable, because he came in shape, and because he tried, he's going to get other opportunities also. So I looked at it as a win-win. Brandon Lee takes the next step in what could be a championship career. And for for the loser uh, of the match, which was Ochoa, um, he, he elevates himself in some regard because there'll be other matchmakers and promoters calling on his services because he can provide those types of tests uh, in decent fights against other up-and-coming guys. All right, Connor Ben, we'll wrap up on this. Main event victory over uh, Chris Van Heerden, and it was a uh, it was a, a decent first round, and then suddenly a blowout in the second round as, as Ben, who has shown some punching power in the recent past, just overwhelmed him, and the fight was stopped immediately on the first knockdown. Dan, what are your thoughts on uh, how Ben looked Saturday night in Manchester, England. No surprise to me whatsoever that, that Connor Ben was the winner. I was a little surprised that he got rid of Van Heerden uh, that quickly. You know, a lot of the conversation going into the match centered on 
the first time, at least since his early, early days, I think his second time overall, but in, in this first like sort of real fight against a Southpaw, how would he deal with that? Because it's, it's just different when you haven't had that experience. And Van Heerden has been, uh, you know, a pretty solid pro for a long time that the Southpaw style might give him some trouble, maybe extend him a little bit into the fight. And uh, Connor Ben took a round, maybe a round and a quarter to figure it out. And then he, he figured out the distance and the way the guy was throwing his punches and stepped into a shot and landed a couple of uh, hard ones and just put him out. It was a spectacular sort of performance. It maybe wasn't as, you know, knock out of the year caliber, uh, ex- you know, extraordinarily exciting knockout the way it was when he uh, knocked out Chris Algieri in his last fight at the end of last year. But, you know, getting rid of Van Heerden in two rounds, that's a good win for him. It, he, he could deal with the southpaw. Obviously, there was no issues there. And uh, it's like his matchroom boxing promoter after the fight, Eddie Hearn, said, uh, you know, now it's time to step up and take on some more you know, top-level contenders. He listed off some names. Whether they can legitimately make those fights or not remains to be seen. But the reality is that Conor Ben is a star in Britain. He's got star potential because of his last name. Obviously, his father is Nigel Ben, who's one of the great fighters of the of the 90s, early 2000s. Um, just a tremendous fighter uh, in his day. And now his son is coming along. Remember, off very little amateur experience he's done. Mm-hmm. He's really, he's improved so much in the last, say, five fights. Eddie made a very interesting comment. I'm surprised he even said it. He said it started out as just a gimmick. In other words, the last name, can he fight? But it's developed into a real thing. Like he's a bona fide guy. He's right. Um, it was a gimmick at first. I had an interview with Connor Ben a couple months ago before the Algeria fight, where he said, like, you know, nobody thought I could do anything. I didn't know if I could do anything. Uh, I knew I had the last name, uh, but I've worked my rear end off, and he really has, based on all accounts. And he's made something of himself. He's a good young fighter. He's one of the better younger guys in a very hot weight class, and he's going to bring the name and the money and the excitement. Do you believe, I mean, again, the genetics are there, the teaching is there. How much do we credit, I guess is the way I want to ask it, Nigel Ben for bringing him along this quickly? Because clearly, uh, you know, to the point about Brandon Lee, for example, I mean, clearly Van Heerden would have been in a position as a 40-year-old veteran to give him problems strategically, Southpaw, whatever, and this was annihilation in the second round. How much do we credit Nigel Ben's tutelage for bringing Connor Ben along to the extent that he is where he is. He's not at the world-class level yet, but how much do you credit Nigel Ben? Well, look, Nigel, that's what's interesting about this. Most times when you have these situations, the father uh, is in charge and runs the show. Right. While Nigel is involved to a degree to watch him, to, to answer some questions, to give him some tips, he's not there hands-on in the gym. He's not the daily guy. He's not the actual trainer. Connor Ben you know, didn't, didn't become a professional boxer because he was pressured into it by his father. He did it because he wanted to. And I think that's sometimes a big difference. Some fighters who are the sons, uh, they feel a certain pressure to, to carry on the family uh, job, the family name, however you want to phrase it. And Connor Ben's uh, uh, way of thinking about it is this was what I want to do. Obviously, he grew up around it with his father, but it's not like he's been pressured into doing it. So he sort of got that free freeness to pursue it in his own way. And he's going to be in some major fights. He's going to be in some um, some exciting fights. And he has a chance to, to become a very big name in a hot division. Um, now, they brought Amir Khan into the ring after the fight. I don't want to see that fight. That's a disgraceful matchup mm. if it happens. I have too much love in my heart for Amir Khan as a human being to see him in a fight like that where he's going to get hurt. And Khan looked done against Kell Brook. What do I know? Uh, certainly Terrence Crawford handled him a couple of years ago. I'm with you. Uh, then again, money talks. We'll see. We'll see what they do there. I think we're pretty well good on the Fight Freaks 
uh, Unite recap podcast. Anything else in closing, Dan Rayfield, before we are good off of the weekend here? Anything else that comes to mind or that you want to share? I'm just looking forward to hopefully one of these podcasts call around late November, early December when we're doing the recap on what happened in Errol Spence Jr. against Terrence Crawford. Mm. From your lips to the negotiating table to actually getting in the ring. Let's hope that that does, in fact, happen. It will be a big week this week in the U.K., going back across the Atlantic here. Tyson Fury, Dillian White, just a quick plug again. We'll have plenty of coverage on Big Fight Weekend. You want to subscribe as well. Be part of Dan's uh, newsletter on Substack. Be a subscriber on his Substack as well. Plenty of coverage on uh, Tyson Fury, Dillian White, WBC heavyweight title fight. We'll have a preview podcast later in the week. Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast when it's over. You're going to get everything you need all week from this site, podcast, from Dan Substack, all of it. We're looking forward to that as we just kind of preview and set the table for later this week, right? Absolutely. I mean, look, it's a big-time heavyweight fight. going to be a giant crowd there at Wembley Stadium. Uh, the showman, Tyson Fury, against Dillian White, who's finally engaged himself, as we discussed and everybody talked about and wrote about last week, is now involving himself in this promotion. And it should be a, a very interesting heavyweight fight. He's a good contender, and you got a top-notch champ. So uh, they're going to collide. They're both from Britain. It's the biggest uh, all-British heavyweight fight anyway since uh, Lennox Lewis fought Frank Bruno a number of years ago. Let's get it on. Looking forward to that. I think that's the way to wrap it up here on Fight Freaks Unite and the Recap Podcast. Dan Rayfield, thank you. Appreciate it as always. Let's have a great week. Most definitely. Touch them up. All right, there we go. There's Dan Rayfield. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Again, follow or subscribe here on the Big Fight Weekend Podcast Network. That's where you find the Fight Freaks Unite recap show out on Mondays. Preview, preview mode Fridays with the Big Fight Weekend preview. Read the website, bigfightweekend.com. Find Dan Rayfield's Substack under the Substack website. Get that newsletter, get all of his subscription, uh, inside nuggets and uh, unique content. We love all of that. For now, we're good. Thank you for being with us here for the Fight Freaks Unite Recap Podcast. The new Super Beats Heart Shoes Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats, B-E-E-T-S dot com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.